You're listening to DraftKings Network. Welcome to, for now, the last episode of Rule of Two for the year 2022. My name is Amin El Hassan. No, my name is Darth Amin. I'm really tired, as you can probably tell. That right there is my apprentice Darth Corn Puzzle. Sounds like you've been listening to Dr. Gorst's remixes. Oh my God, me and Bix just completely fried. I'll be honest, with the holiday, with the World Cup, with the 8 billion other podcasts I had to do, I was not able to take the usual rigorous notes. I'll do my best to serve as your apprentice here, man. Yeah. We'll get through this together. I'll carry you onto the ship to get us out of here. So it's a pretty Ferrix focus finale. All our characters in the same place. Do you want to just start with your general thoughts and feelings coming out of this 12 episode ride? I mean, excellent. It was excellent. It was everything I wanted Obi-Wan to be i wanted it to be like this i wanted the inquisitors to be nuanced multi-dimensional i wanted the cat and mouse game right the idea of a jedi being hunted what's that like that's what i wanted and instead i got an amusement park ride and in andor we got all of that stuff we've talked about it several times such a well-made television show forget about star wars forget about canon just a well-made television show with multi-dimensional characters with intriguing plot lines and with a story that was told perfectly maze i walked away from this episode saying wow they nailed this shit i mean they nailed it right between the eyes as you said most of the episode takes place on ferrix we get a little bit of stuff on Coruscant, including Mon Mothma having a conversation with her husband about his gambling habits. Perrin, you're gambling again. He's gambling again. And she tells Perrin to take it to Canto Bite. Shout out. Love a good Canto Bite Easter egg. Canto Bite, of course, is the planet from Last Jedi where it's basically Star Wars Vegas. We've had Star Wars Miami, that's Star Wars Vegas. The question I have before we get to Ferrix, mm-hmm. given that this scene on Coruscant was pretty short, we find out that her driver, surprise, surprise, is an ISB informant, as he later on tells Doc Brown. The reemergence of Doc Brown. It's been a while. It's been a while. Tells Doc Brown what he overheard them talking about and about credits, missing credits, and all that stuff. And so I ask you, Darth Corn Puzzle. Do you think he did that shit on purpose? Absolutely. What do you mean? Mm. She's coming up with another cover. Right. We see in the other silent scene that she's moving forward with the arranged marriage with Davos Skulden. Betrothal. But yes, this 
right here with the driver and loudly publicly dressing him down for gambling, which Perrin denies fully. And he should because he's not because <laughs> she's making the whole thing up. And it's all to throw ISB off the scent. I love that it's Doc Brown getting this information. Not that he's necessarily terrible at his job, but he's not Dedra. Yes. Which is the more important thing. There's another scene in, on Coruscant at ISB where we find out that the spellhouse ambush goes off successfully and they killed everybody, Anto Krieger and his 30 men. So that's exactly what we were debating this whole time, right? Will it be on camera? Will it be off camera? And I think, obviously, with the benefit of hindsight, that it totally makes sense for this show that we don't see it at all. We sweep it under the rug. Because it wasn't important. Its importance was in the reveal that Luthen was ready to burn them. Exactly. And... As Partagas says, today was about wiping the taste of Aldani from the Emperor's mouth. Yeah. Basically, Luthen's plan worked to a T. The ISB and the Empire think, done, nipped in the bud. We're good. When all along, we know that Luthen and the Rebellion had this all planned out. And Dedra's conference calling in, trying to remind them that they need someone to interrogate. But no one cares about Dedra. On Ferrix, our guy Anderson Pock's son is soldering together a little homemade bomb. Dedra arrives on an Imperial shuttle at night. Bix is still shuddering in her cell. We get the creepy camera turning to look at her as Dedra is observing. Tigo says she's just in time for dinner, but she'll eat later. She wants to patrol the town. Young Anderson Pock has a hologram of his dad on while he works. And it's a lot of quick cuts to everybody because we got so many people in one place in this episode. Zan is waiting for Brasso, tells him Cassian called. They know they're being watched. It's insane to come back now. Everybody's got their hood up. That's all you need to maintain a low profile, as we've learned from House of the Dragon. And as we keep seeing in Andor, we've got Cinta following Dedra and her undercover escort. Then we've got this guy, Nurchi, who's chatting up Zan, getting him drunk. Oh, no. If you remember, Nurchi was the guy in episode one who cornered Andor and hassled him about owing him money, had the big alien with him right. as muscle, and then the alien reveals, like, oh, he just told me to stand right here. So we kind of know that Nurchi's a piece of shit already. And we know that Brasso is a loyal friend. Remember, he was the one that confirmed Cassian's alibi we talked about earlier you know when we had these three episode arcs that at some point everybody was going to be all together and sure enough here for the funeral of marva we got the isb people we met in episodes four five six we got the ferrix people we met in episodes one two three what's left of the aldani squad uh we got them all we got everybody here the only person that wasn't there probably was someone from the prison melshi yeah he's off letting people know that people are being imprisoned and they're not getting out yep there's a great moment where nurchi lifts the cup out of zan's hand and you can really tell he's milking him for information and when he learns that cassian is coming back he pretends like he's not interested that's when we get the scene with mon and perrin Vel is waiting for Cinta, who's locked in on her spying. No one picked her up from the airport, and she's a little salty, I mean. Oh, my God, Vel, get a grip. Good to see you, too. She's so annoying. 
Lots of silent longing glances here. Things are not going well. Cassian is sneaking around at night. There's a nice little flashback poppy talk moment where he finds Clamandor's brick. Yep. Teaching him about how to clean equipment. Talks about the follies of capitalism. People are always buying new stuff, I mean. Yeah. They don't look down. They don't look past the rust. Not us, though. Eyes open. Possibilities everywhere. So the rust. Rust seems to be a big theme in this episode. And also yes. Ferex, because it's such a worker planet. And the name Ferex, which is very close to Ferus, which is the Latin word for iron. Wow. Yeah. Look at that. Look at that connection. What would you call Ferex? Would that be Star Wars Detroit or Star Wars Cleveland? Star Wars Pittsburgh? I think Star Wars Detroit is pretty good, but it's somewhere in the Rust Belt, right? Gotta be. Gotta be. Just the Star Wars Rust Belt. (laughs) That's the entirety of it. The Star Wars Midwest. (laughs) Climbs over Bix's wall, but just runs into Pegla and his guard dogs. We hear a passage from Nemec's manifesto. There will be times when the struggle seems impossible. Mm. I know this already. (laughs) Alone, unsure, dwarfed by the scale of the enemy. Remember this. Freedom is a pure idea. It occurs spontaneously and without instruction. Random acts of insurrection are occurring constantly throughout the galaxy. There are whole armies, battalions, that have no idea that they've already enlisted in the cause. Remember that the frontier of the rebellion is everywhere. And even the smallest act of insurrection pushes our lines forward. And then remember this. The Imperial need for control is so desperate because it is so unnatural. Tyranny requires constant effort. It breaks. It leaks. Authority is brittle. Oppression is the mask of fear. Remember that. And know this. The day will come when all these skirmishes and battles, these moments of defiance will have flooded the banks of the Empire's authority and then there will be one too many. One single thing will break the siege. Remember this. Try. What I thought about when he was reading this, first of all, I just love that it came back because Nemec was really an important character, even though he was only in the show for two, three episodes, is when he's talking about one single thing that will break the siege. I mean, and that made me think of Luke's proton torpedo. The one thing even though it represents everything that's happened even the theme of hope in rogue one but just one thing that's all you need one opening friends a lot has changed over the years personally and across our airwaves but one thing that hasn't the great taste of miller light so what is the best thing about the original light beer miller light sparked this debate in 1975 and we still haven't settled it you know for me personally i recently bought a few six packs of miller light for my housewarming party, because that's one thing that's changed for me. I moved into a new house, and I brought some friends over, and we enjoyed the best light beer. Because Miller Lite keeps it simple. Undebatable quality, great taste, only 96 calories. It's the beer that strips away everything you don't need and holds on to what matters most. A light beer that tastes like beer. Less filling and only 96 calories. The original light beer since 1975. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and is less filling. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com slash crate. Or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces. Fewer cows and carbs than premium regular beer. 
Tigo is giving Dedra a breakdown of the plan for the funeral. Half of Rick's Road, they're going to cap it at 40 people. They call the Daughters of Ferrix a local annoyance. They're the Rotary Club. The continued disdain for local customs and culture. And Dedra is insisting that Andor be taken alive. Yeah, they talk about setting up containment units and snipers on the roof. And Dedra says, no snipers. Because she has to keep reiterating to these stupid, greedy, lazy sons of bitches. I want him alive. I don't want you guys to kill him. Meanwhile, Luthen shows up. Parked way outside of town, hops on a speeder. Well, not before he puts on his hood rather dramatically, Maze. Well, once he puts on the hood, he's invisible. I don't know if oh, you know that. No, yeah, I couldn't see it anymore. I just saw speeder just jetting off across the sands. It's the stark contrast, and that is the weird kind of flipped-on-its-head dichotomy that the Empire wants Cassian alive and that the Rebellion wants to kill him. Yes. Undercover cop sees that the big man isn't with B2 Emo. It's a trap. It's a decoy. Cassian meets Brasso in a sewer tunnel, explains he wanted Marva to leave with him. Brasso says he shouldn't be here, and Cassian's acting his ass off, talking about his last moments with Marva. Marva knew Cassian would say all this. Tell him none of this is his fault. It was already burning. He's just the first spark of the fire. Tell him he knows everything he needs to know and feels everything he needs to feel. And when the day comes that those two pull together, he will be an unstoppable force for good. Tell him... I love him more than anything he could ever do wrong. Do you think Cassian is an unstoppable force for good in Rogue One? Is that how you describe him? No, but that's the thing your mom tells you, (laughs) right? Yeah. Because you're not going to be an unstoppable force for good, but maybe you can. You're my unstoppable force for good. And maybe that, that enough will make you lean towards being somewhat good, which it does. Cassian learns that Bix is at the hotel and Brasso wonders if he's going to go take on a full garrison. Oh, remember the callback to Aldani when he's incredulously asking Vel, like, was you going to take on a full garrison? And now look who's the big hero ready to take on whatever. Yes, that's right. It's the new improved Cassian Andor. Cyril and the sergeant are taking the bus. They trade hats. Why did they trade hats? I'm guessing because Cyril wants to feel like he's still important. Like he gave him the hat because this is the cop hat, right? Like, yo, you're still a cop. You can have the fake badge to play with for this adventure. But he's looking at the one he has with trepidation. So I think it was just, here, you can have this hat. The funny thing about the sergeant is he really is taken by Cyril. There's no part of him that this dipshit is down to sacrifice whatever so that Cyril feels good and feels in control. Everybody's spying on everybody. Luthen finds Vel. He knows that the ISB supervisor is a woman because of Lonnie's tip. Says the ISB will do the hunting, then they'll kill him. The anvil starts ringing early. The marching band starts warming up. Everyone's surprised. Cassian is in a sniper spot across from the hotel. We've got people assembling in the streets, coming from all over town. Tigo wants to do a show of force. Tells everybody to get ready quickly. They got the riot police out. Yeah, with the shields. And Cassian sees Luthen lurking in the corner. So the hood didn't work in this situation. 
Nurchi also spotted Cassian. He wants double the reward and a ride out of town. Shout out to Nurchi. How the f*** did you see him? It's not like he's on the roof of a building. Like a bunker. He's in a bunker. Yeah. Imagine if the roof had a roof over it and he's under that roof and looking out of like a hole. And Nurchi saw him. I'm like, this nosy bastard. The undercover cop pretends to arrest him. Luthan notices Cyril trying to get close to the situation. B2 Emo and Brasso carrying the stone are moving forward. Bix is clinging to the window, humming along with the song. And the song, which, by the way, turns out to be, that's what the theme to Andor is. All the instruments coming together. That's all it was. All the whole time it was the funeral procession song. Dedra takes two guards to go grab Cassian. The parade is assembled on Rick's Road. Cassian's already gone. He's back in the sewer. Dedra doesn't grab two guards. She grabs two death troopers who are the elite of the elite of stormtroopers. You remember them from Rogue One. They accompanied Director Krennic everywhere. If you watch Star Wars Rebels, Thrawn often travels with death troopers. These are like the stormtroopers that don't suck. The parade pulls right up to the line of riot shield guards. They chant stone and sky. Bix raspily says it along with them. And Cassian sneaks into the kitchens of the hotel where the employee recognizes him and says, sorry about your mom. Yeah. We've got B2 emo projecting Marva's speech in a massive hologram. Yeah. The biggest hologram I've ever seen. As Cassian looks for Bix, Dedra's walking around confused with her escort of death troopers. Cyril sees her, goes from six to midnight instantly. Yeah. But there's no way to do this speech justice. Fiona Shaw, take it away. My name is Marva Karassi Andor. I'm honored to stand before you. I'm honored to be a daughter of Therix. And honored to be worthy of the stone. A stranger. Feel as if I can see you. I was six, I think. First time I touched a funerary stone. Heard our music. Felt our history. Holding my sister's hand as we walked all the way from Fountain Square. Where you stand now, I've been more times than I can remember. I always wanted to be lifted. I was always eager, always waiting to be inspired. I remember every time it happened, every time the dead lifted me. Uh, with their truth. And now I'm dead. And I yearn to lift you because I want to shine or even be remembered is because I want you to go on. I want Ferrix to continue. In my waning hours, that's what comforts me most. But I fear for you. We've been sleeping. We've had each other and Ferrix, our work, our days. We had each other, and they left us alone. We kept the trade lanes open, and they left us alone. We took their money and ignored them. 
We kept their engines churning, and the moment they pulled away, we forgot them. Because we had each other. We had Ferrix. But we were sleeping. I've been sleeping. I've been turning away from a truth I wanted not to face. There is a wound that won't heal at the center of the galaxy. There is a darkness reaching like rust into everything, into everything around us. We let it grow and now it's here. It's here and it's not visiting anymore. It wants to stay. The Empire is a disease that thrives in darkness. It is never more alive than when we sleep. It's easy for the dead to tell you to fight. And maybe it's true, maybe fighting's useless. Perhaps it's too late. But I'll tell you this. It is stirring, and it's funny because it starts with metaphors, talking about rust, talking about darkness, and then finally she's just like... The hell with all these metaphors. Fight the Empire. She's just like, yep. just such shit on the Empire. Tigo is like, ah, he runs over, crosses the picket line, grabs his cape or cowl or whatever, tries to throw it over the projection. Does a terrible job of it because pretty much she's still projecting and talking. So then he flips over B2 Emo. And next thing you know, we got ourselves a good old-fashioned Fight in the streets, and it reminded me of the Pepsi commercial yep. with Kendall Jenner. Exactly. What do you think of, I mean, it's obviously been done like in Beer Fest when Donald Sutherland nice. records the message, but what do you think of this fair extradition of the public speech from beyond the grave that Marva talks about going to as a kid and, and now she gets to do it? I don't think it's for everybody on Ferrex. It's like for special dignitaries, right? If you're one of these people that are respected members of society, you get to do this. But I liked it. You know, I liked the idea that she knew she was dying and she wanted her voice to have a legacy. Again, like you said, she remembers as a child, which kind of confused me. She's from Ferrix. I didn't know she was from Ferrix. I thought she was from somewhere else. But either way, being a part of these and being uplifted, right? Feeling like the dead people were lifting her with, their words, and now it's her turn to inspire and to lift others. It was a great speech, man. It was very moving. And I won't lie, like, the initial kind of fight between the security forces and the people, and then at some point, your man just says, open fire. And I got trigger warnings, man. Like, it reminded me of what happened in Sudan, what's happening in Iran right now, Mm -hmm. what's happened here in 2020. At some of those protests were armed forces opening fire on unarmed citizenry because they're annoying for no other reason than they're annoying. 
And I thought that was a really well done scene and the buildup and the tension. Mm-hmm. And there's so much stuff in the episode maze where there's no dialogue. Right. Just people walking and people standing and people peering. People's faces. We get to see Cyril's reaction to this, which I thought was kind of interesting. As she's talking about the empire as a disease, we see young, idealistic, fascist Cyril (laughs) and how he probably feels disgusted by this speech. I thought it was a very effective final push for Cassian's motivations, but really the show as a whole, because we've been teetering on the edge of what do you fight for? And her speech essentially is saying... We used to just have our community and be satisfied with that, but now they're taking that away from us, so we can't s- sit back any longer. Yeah, they stopped being visitors, and they stayed, and all that. And, like, by the way, this is all what Luthen wanted. Right. If you remember his conversations with Saul, his conversations with Mon Mothma, it's all about chess-matching, chess-moving the Empire into becoming more draconian, more restrictive, more oppressive— in order to push people past their limit. And Marva's speech ends up being the catalyst for this first spark of rebellion, I think, that's a little bit more widespread than some terrorist attacks here and there. Which, by the way, that's the other thing I thought about. Hennessy for my enemies, son of Pac, making this IED, basically. Yeah. And chucking it, and this thing exploding and killing a bunch of people, including Nurchi, who is... Looking out the window like a cuck O'Leary. <laughs> yeah, it was an incredible throw. It knocked over a case of grenades, which caused a chain reaction. So, son of Pac, well done. Great bomb. Great heave. You did it, man. You really will go down in the... He's got a chooch. Yeah, he threw it like Uncle Rico or the mountains over there. <laughs> but also, Maze, again, like this is an interesting thing because I think most people watch this and say yeah the empire is bad these people are good good for you son of Pac throwing this thing but the other way to look at it is like in a lot of places in real life those people are considered terrorists those people are considered the bad guys even though they're victims of oppression and are fighting against a fascist overlord that strips them of their humanity I think Star Wars always does best when it can hit a parallel to what's happening in real life And I enjoyed that they did that, and they did it, I thought, with a great subtlety and deft touch. Cassian finds Bix, who dreamed that he came back, says Marva was here. Wasn't she great? She's scared to leave. She's scared to make the ISB angry. She's so... She's broken. Broken, exactly. The Anvil guy's going nuts on the tower, which I love. He gets his moment. Because they sent the Stormtrooper to get him over there. Stop that Anvil! And the stone driver climbs up God knows how many steps. He's going slow, too. And he's just, you can tell, like, he's, like, even. And Anvil guy just kicks the shit out of him right in the chest. He This is Sparta's him right oh, off of man. the tower. I thought of Paul Bettany in Legion. Of course you did. Just kicking the shit out. That was a weak-ass <laughs> kick in Legion, but that's a story for a different day. Uh Cinephobe, wherever you get podcast. Cassian's getting Bix out of the hotel. There's a great shot of Vel running into a cloud of smoke. That was very cinematic. The imps are charging after Son of Pock. That's when Tigo yells to open fire. Brasso is bludgeoning his way through the big man. 
an old woman, daughter of Ferris, gets gunned down. They're killing everybody. Yeah. We get Zan dying and linger on his eyes. We get B2 emo tipped over. Zan jumped up on top of a stormtrooper and started choking him the fuck out. And some other stormtrooper, for the first time, had great aim and hit him. Pew, knocked him right off the back of that dude. But that was sad. And B2 emo getting knocked over and stuttering. That was sad, too. Sinta stabs the undercover cop in an alley. Pegla grabs B2 and is dragging him out of the fracas with a rope. Cassian has escaped the hotel with Bix. Dedra gets knocked down and separated from her gun. That's when the anvil guy Spartan kicks the stormtrooper. Dedra is getting grabbed by a group of people. We see a hand pick up her blaster. Puts the gun in her back and pulls her into an alley. She grabs something to smash him in the face and film noir, I mean. Yeah, it's our boy Cyril. But that was a weird part because he literally looked like she was about to be torn apart yeah. by the mob. And I was like, oh, shit. And then all of a sudden, she's on her feet with a blaster to her back. Like, okay, that, how'd that happen? That was the one part I was like, all right, guys. Maybe you shouldn't have gone dramatic with the people dragging her away if you're going to give us this. You? How? You were in trouble. She's gasping. She's inches from his face. No, you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of Back to the Future. George McFly, after he punches Biff at the car, puts his hand out to Lorraine and he says, are you okay? (laughs) (laughs) Hit so many of those notes right there. And then they're uncomfortably close and trembling. So close. But here's the weird part. He's kind of leaning back away from her. Which goes back to my theory that he's not actually in love with her. He's in love with the Empire. Uh, I have to disagree, I mean, because as he says his name, she knew that. Yeah. And as they're trembling and holding each other, she stammers out loud, I should, I should say thank you. You don't have to. Woo! I love that when he says, my name's Cyril. Even in that moment, this goddamn know-it-all can't help but say, I know that already. That is such a perfect line for Dedra's character. The idea is that, you know, she obviously puts in a lot of work and is very meticulous, but also this feeling that I'm not heard and I'm not appreciated. So rather than just, like, take it for what it is, which is an actual real-life human interaction, she almost absorbs it as, like, a challenge Oh, you're going to mansplain your name to me? Like, that's the energy she's got, which is understandable. Well, she's juggling so many different things because she was super overwhelmed by the actual chaos outside. She's not prepared for a situation like that. Kind of like him. Remember how he choked in his mission in the field when they go down to Ferex? They're both people that should be behind a desk. They should not be out there fighting the fight. They're definitely not field agents. Absolutely not. And I got to disagree. I think there's a crap ton of tension here. I don't know what their relationship is going to be like in season two, but I can't wait to find out because I love every second of the two of them trying to figure out their incredibly complex feelings for each other and for fascism and the empire. Oh my gosh, folks. Gather around. Everyone gather around. Listen to these words. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers, listen to me. You bet just 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. 
Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use code DAN. That's code DAN for new customers. And you get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. That's insane. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas, 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Luthen's watching the chaos. Bell and Cinta are packing up in a hurry. Bell's worried that Cinta's bleeding, but that's not her blood. I mean, no, she killed a guy. That's right. Cinta's a goddamn machine, ain't she? Yeah, she's nonstop work. Business is business. Definitely going to get more action from her in season two. Jesse, the daughter of Ferrix, son of Pac, Brasso. And Pelga are prepping a ship. One of the jalopies in Pelga's used car lot. That we saw again in episode one when he told Cassian, I'm not lending you any of my cars anymore. Get the hell out of here. B2 is the first to recognize Cassian. He loads Bix on the ship, asks if they can make it to Ganji Moon. He gives Jez instructions. The moment you get over the water, you climb. Once again, climbing the theme. Straight home, full pump, hand throttle, no comms, all in. You understand? Cassian tells B2 he's not coming to take care of Bix. I'm counting on you. You always say that, and you always come through. Bix manages to say that Cassian will always find them. That's when we see the Mothma family in all their finest attire, meeting Davos Golden's son, and Genevieve Riley's reactions during this scene are amazing. She's still obviously not feeling good about it. Sergeant is drinking by himself in the alley, having done nothing. Yeah, this dude right here <laughs> living the life. That was an interesting check-in, especially because it's the second to last thing we see. Luthen is speeding back to the Fondor. When he gets on board, he tells his droid, prepare for evac, full stealth. But it's eerily quiet. When he goes in the cockpit, Cassian emerges... You came here to kill me, didn't you? You don't make it easy. I will now. And he nods at the blaster that he put down. What game is this? Cassian shakes his head. No game. Kill me or take me in. Luthen looks at the blaster, looks up at Cassian. Cassian takes a deep breath and exhales. Fade to black. End of season, I mean. Or is it? Did you catch the after the credits scene? Oh, no. I did not. You didn't? Nick Fury shows up and decides to recruit Cassian to the Avengers. No, there's a, there actually is an after credit scene. Nick Fury better not show up, dude. 
Describe what you see to all the people who also said, I didn't see the... All right. The post credit scene is a bunch of droids using the parts that they were making in Arkina 5 to assemble the Death Star. There it is. Dun, 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 dun. It's exactly what we suspected. They're building the Death Star parts. That's why they were working to the bone. That's why they weren't letting anyone go. That's why all of that shit happened. Save the biggest Easter egg for last. Maze, are you prepared to have your mind blown? I hope so. So there is a rumor, a theory out there, I should say, that Luthen is a fallen Jedi. I've seen this, and I hope it isn't true. Oh, when I saw the explanation, I was like, I hope it is true. As much as I'm like, oh, that sounds corny. Not everything has to be the Jedi and stuff. Shout out to Screen Rant, where I got this theory from. But basically, there's a short story that came out some years back. And in this short story, it tells about one of the Jedi who was off-world, who survived Order 66. Because we know, it didn't get everybody, right? We know that Cal Kestis from the video game, survived it. We know Ahsoka survived it. We know Kanan Jarrus survived it. It's not out of the ordinary this idea that, like, they're Jedi. I mean, that's why we had Inquisitors, was to, to find the rest of them. So this guy could have escaped, right? That's that. But then there's this other character that this particular Jedi knew who was a curator at an antiquity store, an antiquity store that collected, get this, Jedi relics. Mm. The curator ends up dying. But the theory is that this guy basically assumed his identity in order to, A, have a bunch of shit around in public and not be questioned, and B, continue to, like, plan. So there are all these little hints and clues, right? Again, Jedi relics. The mask from the Jedi guards. The tablet of the father, the son, and the daughter, right? The holocrons in the back. So we said, well, maybe they're not real holocrons. But as it turns out, if they are real, that would be a great thing because we know that much like Hitler in World War II, the emperor was obsessed with collecting all these artifacts, all these Sith artifacts, all these Jedi artifacts, and a lot of Jedi artifacts were destroyed. Well, if there were a Jedi living in Coruscant who had all these Jedi artifacts, why wouldn't he have been detected? And it turns out items that are or things that are deep in the dark side have a clouding effect. So having the Sith holocron there actually creates interference that would not have him picked up. It's the same reason why Yoda was not found on Dagobah. He chose Dagobah specifically because of the cave. The cave was very strong in the dark side, and he knew that signal would interfere and basically cloak his presence there. But they go on. Luthen talks about fighting the Empire for 15 years. But 15 years ago, the Empire was just the Galactic Republic turned into the Galactic Empire. Why would he be fighting against the Empire? Unless he was a separatist, but he wasn't a separatist. The only way you would be fighting against the Empire, uh, not being a separatist, is if you believed that they did something wrong. How would he know they did something wrong when most people in the galaxy did not know that Palpatine was a Sith. Remember, the idea was that the Jedi became too drunk with power and tried to overthrow the Republic 
And that's why Order 66 was carried out. So for him to say, I've been fighting the Empire for 15 years, means he had to have known about Order 66. And then finally, and this one is like the most obvious one. I can't believe it flew past my radar. When he goes to see Saw and they search him and they pull out the cane, which looks a lot like a lightsaber hilt upon rewatch. And he says, either give it back to me or put it down. That's a very odd instruction to give someone for possessing what should be just a regular ass cane, right? Sure. Or a salt and pepper shaker. One of the two. Shout out to Screen Rant. If you watch, he breaks down the whole speech he gives to the ISB agent when he says, what have you sacrificed? And all of it is like Jedi term. The first thing he says I sacrificed was calm, which is where Jedi want to be in the balance, right? He talks about having to use the tools of his enemy, basically fall into the dark side in order to accomplish what needs to be accomplished. His mind being a sunless space. He's talking about a Jedi who's had to forego his path. So the theory is, it's not that he's like going to pull out a lightsaber and start moving shit with the Force. theory is he is a disconnected Jedi. Like Sirajinda, he's someone who's disconnected himself from the Force. Like uh, Sokotano, he's no longer a Jedi, but he's still fighting for the thing. I mean, I watched it, and at first I was like, come on, man. When you talk about, like, the curator and stuff, like, that seems like a stretch. But then when they start getting into, like, all the other shit, I was like, holy shit. It makes perfect sense. Yeah, there's also the kyber crystal that he gives Cassian and the lightsabers on his ship. Those could contribute to that. Why the hell would he have a kyber crystal? Because he's an antique collector. That's true. I am going to argue the other side. I hope that he's not. I hope that this is a man. I hope that it doesn't have anything to do with the Force or the Jedi Order. Just because... I like how contained the storytelling is, and I like how it could apply more to an analogy for humanity on Earth. So the idea of then having Luthen, the guy who's the brains behind the whole rebellion, being a secret Jedi, doesn't feel like the type of twist that I need from this show. I think the more accurate thing is to say that he's a fallen Jedi. And that the rebellion itself is built on a lie, like the Dent Act in the Dark Knight trilogy, right? Like this thing that's good and brings about good change, but it's like it's actually built on a lie. This dude who's really an awful person, a person who fell out of favor with the Jedi Order, is the one who is responsible for all of this. And if you want to take it a step further, it's probably why the Rebel Alliance and the New Republic did not last, was not successful, if you will. Any other final thoughts, Amin, till the next Star Wars project? Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. This has been really fun. This is, I think, by far my favorite Star Wars outside of the original trilogy. It surpassed Rogue One. It surpassed Last Jedi, which I, I still claim was a pretty good movie the prequels it's surpassed clone wars it surpassed rebels it passed everything for me mandalorian all of it outside of the original trilogy this is the best star wars i've ever seen i'm very thankful to tony gilroy to everybody who was responsible for making this and i urge urge kathleen kennedy lucasfilm take notes you can have smart star wars you can have sophisticated nuanced star wars it doesn't have to be little leia 
running like a bingo across the field as grown men stumble upon themselves. I'm really excited for season two. I think it'll be a lot more fast paced. It's supposed to cover four years, whereas this is supposed to have covered one year. I can't wait for Cassian to not necessarily be on the run the entire time and start to flesh out the rebellion a little more fully. Yeah, I, w- I want to see how Melshi comes back into play. I want to see what other awful things he's done for the rebellion because he still hasn't really done too many awful things, right, that he alluded to when telling Jin Erso what he's done in the sake of freedom and all that stuff. So I want to see him delve into that and get deep into that. Maze, I just want to say one thing. I told people at the beginning of this, this is the last one for 2022. And if you hated Ruler 2, I'm sure you're really happy. If you love it, you're sad. But sad people don't be sad for long. And happy people hold that joy because Bad Batch drops January 4th, Maze. And it's 16 freaking episodes. We're back, baby. I'm gambling again. Friends, a lot has changed over the years, personally and across our airwaves. But one thing that hasn't, the great taste of Miller Lite. So what is the best thing about the original light beer? Miller Lite sparked this debate in 1975, and we still haven't settled it. You know, for me personally, I recently bought a few six-packs of Miller Lite for my housewarming party. Because that's one thing that's changed for me. I moved into a new house, and I brought some friends over, and we enjoyed the best light beer. Because Miller Lite keeps it simple. Undebatable quality. Great taste, only 96 calories. It's the beer that strips away everything you don't need and holds on to what matters most. A light beer that tastes like beer. Less filling and only 96 calories. The original light beer since 1975. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and is less filling. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com crate. Or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces. Fewer cows and carbs than premium regular beer.